and welcome to Becoming Less, a podcast about an Edmontonian's journey to less waste, less consumption, less impact, and less clutter. Today, I chat with my friend Ashley. We talk about her year-long trip to Korea, about green energy, and about eating less meat, among other things. Ashley is also very passionate about the environment and really prides herself on basing her choices on diligent research. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Hi, Biz. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well today. Thank you. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Do you consider yourself an environmentalist in any capacity? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, And actually, um, I have listened to your podcast before. And so I anticipated that question. And I Googled what an environmentalist is. Do you know what Google says? What is Google's definition? If I can remember correctly, it said an environmentalist is someone who advocates for or cares about the environment. So that would put you in the yes category? Yes, I think so. Although (laughs) I think that I'm not an environmental activist, but I am an environmentalist. That's fair. Mm -hmm. So would you only say that by definition, or is there anything in particular you consider about yourself that makes you an environmentalist? No, I think that that's a good definition of environmentalist. But I I think that all good environmentalists are also kind of scientists, a little bit at least, because they have to do research in order to find out how they're affecting the environment. So in that regard, I I think that I'm a good environmentalist because I did a lot of my own research in order to better understand the complex ways that humans affect the environment. Is there anything in particular that you put a, a special amount of effort into? I guess, yeah. I've been mostly focusing on the ways that uh, individuals can affect change in their own personal little lives. Do you think that is that can be a big difference or do you find it pretty minuscule? Um, like an individual's ability to affect change? Yes. Hmm. Oh man, we're just jumping right into this. Okay. Collective versus personal. So you know what I mean by collective, right? I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the government level and like corporations, people who are manufacturing things that the, that citizens are consuming. On the personal level, what have I been focusing on? Well, mostly I'm hoping to transition to not eating meat. That's probably the biggest thing. Oh, um, really? And doing, doing research, I think, is also very important because it helps you make good and informed decisions about how you want to change your life. Um, and actually what kind of got me started is a confluence of two people, actually, I would say, that got me started. And you're one of them. <laughs> Which is funny, because I actually do eat chicken and fish. Yeah, I mean, meat in moderation is honestly okay. It's just that, yeah, it has been shown a lot that eating meat is a very impactful way that an individual can change the way that they affect the environment and reduce their carbon footprint. Just because of animal agriculture, And the effects of like reserving space, green space, for raising these animals that produce greenhouse gases. I mean, let's not even get into the the, like ethical treatment of animals 
in animal <laughs> agriculture. So we'll just stick with like, yeah. The actual <laughs> environmental impacts. Yeah, which is substantial. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a lot considering that we have to, you know, grow food for these animals to eat and then we have to reserve space for them that can't be, you know, inhabited by native species. Um, and then also, of course, they, you know, produce methane. Right. <laughs> so um, in what way have I influenced you in this change that you're trying to make? I think it was a combination of like right when I got back from Korea, which we can talk about later, Korea, but Korea changed the way that I think about how people are interacting with the environment. And then you were really outspoken and encouraging, but not in a pushy way, you know? You just brought attention to things that I honestly could easily do to change my lifestyle. So thank you. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad that I'm not pushy because I try really hard not to like wag my finger at people. But at the same time, I really want to do more. And at this point, I kind of feel like the only way to do more is to spread out to other people. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Advocacy is such a crucial part of, like, helping the environment. Because really, most of us, we're not really connected to corporations at all. And the only way that we can influence the collective choice is to, like, write to your government and vote. And then, of course, with your individual consumer choices, like cars and stuff. Right. So tell me about the other person who influenced you. Uh, he's a rock climber, actually. And it came about because of the pandemic that we're currently experiencing. Hello, June 2020. Um, <laughs> he's been trapped, you know, inside a little bit more often than, than he used to be. And so he's mm -hmm. forced, he says, like, forced to read more books. And so because he spends so much time out in nature, he's a professional climber. Uh, I guess I can say his name. It's Alex Honnold. Do you know this okay. guy? I don't. He's not in uh, Edmonton. He's like a public figure. He lives oh. in, he lives permanently oh. in Yosemite. So is this, is this is someone you know or just someone you're reading about? It's just someone that I am reading about and following on Facebook. I don't gotcha. know this guy personally. Okay, okay, oh okay. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're like fangirling. <laughs> I mean, I wish I knew him. Oh. <laughs> I watch videos of him speaking and he's just so eloquent and empathetic and humorous. We'll put oh his God. Facebook page in the show notes. So he's been trapped inside more often than normal because usually he's outside climbing a lot, like most right. of the time. And uh, he's been reading books about the environment and the economy and a bunch of other things. But specifically, he started making uh, environmentalist posts on his Facebook page. And the first one that I read was about the tiny things that you can do as an individual. And then after that, I just read them all and they were all so good. So you and him, you really sent me down this rabbit hole of like suddenly being more aware of just my impact on the environment. Well, that's definitely a good thing here. Um, we need more people to just increase their awareness is probably the biggest thing. Um, is there anything you find that is holding you back in progress? Hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is existentialism. <gasps> just <Okay>. because <laughs> there, there's a big topic. <laughs> I know. Uh, just because I am aware of the fact that personal action can only take you so far, and that 
like the lives of millions of people are affected by the government and corporations and the choices they make, you know? So it's really tough in the face of like factories producing gigatons, you know, of carbon. The small things that you do make a difference, but they do make a difference. And so I kind of fluctuate between like, like, yeah, <laughs> environmentalism. And then like, nothing I do matters. Why, why do I even oh, I, try? I feel yeah. Something that every single person who can call themselves an environmentalist is afflicted by. And actually, uh, climate scientists especially are like so deeply affected by this, this existential dread that there are special psychologists that are trained specifically to help people. Yeah, definitely have my own personal bouts with eco-anxiety for sure. So is there anything that you think that big corporations or the government should be doing or could be doing better? Well, thankfully, I think that they are doing things. They're, they're starting to. They're starting to get traction. People are starting to take it more seriously all over the world, um, especially in Europe. There's lots of good things. Like, for instance, the biggest thing, I guess, is green energy. Like, other than the animal agriculture that we talked about earlier. Another thing to think about is, like, where we get our energy from. Because that's important in heating houses and everything you do with electricity, like your computer. And also transportation, like your cars. Especially in places like where we live in Edmonton, where it's cold most of the time. Yeah, heating houses is, like... Yeah, it's a huge toll. We consume a lot of energy. And driving, right? Because in the winter, nobody wants to walk or bike anywhere to get to where they need to be. Um, Yeah, and our public transit in Edmonton, not great. Like, it's not terrible. The bus system is quite good. Um, But the buses, like, it would be so challenging for them to run electric buses because of the cold temperatures that we get. The buses from St. Albert are actually electric. Oh, that's awesome. No, I didn't. Yeah. Can they run in the wintertime? Yeah, they're, they're around all year. But they have like these big green signs on them. They're like, this is run by electricity. That's awesome. Yeah, I wish they would do that with all the buses for sure. Some things that I've heard though in contention with electric cars is the, the cost of manufacturing them. And also the fact that like you plug them in and they run on electricity, but where's that electricity coming from? You know? Well, that is the thing. And um, I actually talked about this a couple podcasts ago with Kelly. If you charge your electric car with coal-powered energy, it is still better than running a gasoline-fueled car. It's not that much better, but it is better. And I think it advocates for new fuel uh, sources. I agree. And I also found the same things in my research. And because they basically produce zero carbon dioxide emissions, they really make up for even the manufacturing costs. They really make up for it in the long run. Yeah. So that's the thing is longevity is where that will turn around. Yeah. And then the other big thing, obviously, is like switching to green energy. We need to do it. So like the sooner the better. Oh my I, know, God. I just I just want to put solar panels on all the roofs. Right? <laughs> and so actually I've done like mostly my research has been into like the efficacy and longevity of solar panels and also how they have in the past had a detrimental effect on the environment occasionally. But they're getting better all the time. 
Yes, that is the important thing is that they have so much potential. It's just quite a bit of investment at the beginning to like produce them. Yes. And also, unfortunately, most of them are made of silicon, which means that there's some potentially hazardous byproducts that can be produced. I think it's called silicon tetrachloride. Yeah. A lot of countries, like in the United States, it's not mandated that they have to have good recycling practices of the silicon that they produce because you can right. take that that silicon waste and then make more of the the silicon that they use in the solar panels. You can yeah. recycle it, but the the machinery that is needed to recycle it is expensive. And so a lot of companies just choose to dump their waste or they did in the past and that's not great. Thankfully yeah. though in Europe it's a uh, totally mandated like there's a law. If you are producing solar panels, you have to have one of these expensive recycling machines. Yeah. Almost all of the environmental podcasts that I listen to come from Europe or Australia. There's yeah. like hardly any really good ones in North America. Oh, um, you're just getting started. I'm just getting started. You We're know, you're brand new. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about your time in Korea. Uh, How is waste handled differently there? So I'll preface this by saying that my year spent in Korea had a big influence on me and the way that I thought about the world for a couple reasons. And I was disappointed generally by what I saw in terms of how much they thought about and cared about the environment. So Biz, have you been to like a super city before? Uh, No, I would have to say the biggest city I've ever been to is probably Seattle. Seattle. Do you know what the population is? I, I don't know, unfortunately. I don't know. Oh, bad. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, population of Seoul, I think, I think, is 25 million, I think. But if you include the metropolitan area, it's 50 million. Like so, that's more than Canada. Yeah, to put that into perspective, <laughs> Canada is 9 million square kilometers in size, and we have a population of 35 million which puts us at about four people per square kilometer if you take into account the Northwest Territories. Um, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, if you don't take that into account, it's still, our population density is not that large. Okay. But, yeah, Korea's population is 50 million just in Seoul, and that's yeah. just in an area the size of half of Alberta. That's bonkers. What was it? What was the total area of the country? I don't remember. I used to have this memorized to, like, pull this, this factoid out and wow people. but anyway it kind of shows especially in terms of cement and like concrete jungles it it really is quite a concrete jungle oh so there's not a lot of greenery yeah so that's something that i've noticed about cities in canada there's almost always trees everywhere you go no matter what yeah and there are of course of course the government has made sure that there are places where there are parks and because the country is fairly small, it's never too long to get to a park. And there, there are green spaces. They're just always sandwiched by non-green spaces, you know? Right. Yeah. So that was like the first thing that I noticed was, wow, there's a lot of cement. There's like no biodiversity here. It's just people and pigeons. That's about and it. Pigeons. Magpies. Pigeons everywhere. They have magpies there. The Eurasian magpies, same as we have here. It's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. The other um, thing was the... The packaging. These are the things that they did poorly, but they did things well, and I'll get to that soon. But the other thing that they did poorly, in my opinion, is the packaging of their products, food products. Man, I don't know why, but they really like candy to be wrapped individually and then like 
50 pieces of candy that are each wrapped individually to be in a bag. And sometimes that bag was in another bag. Like, it's just so much plastic waste. And I, of course, I mean, something that they do well is that they have this program where elderly people get a plot of land and they grow their own vegetables and then they can sell those vegetables. And so you get a lot of vegetables that like are local and they were never put in a plastic bag or anything. So that's great. But then on the other hand, you've got these huge factories that are like pumping out plastic. Is, so unnecessary. Is candy that big of a item there? That, that I would feel the need to mention it? It is. Well, they just eat candy all the time. God, everybody eats candy. It was like, because I taught English <laughs> as a second language there. And it was yeah. like the primary incent, the primary motivator for kids in my classes. If I wanted them to participate or to try it was like, if you, if you do well, you get candy. And then suddenly they were like, okay, yep, we're, we are invested. Wow. I feel like that's not voting well for their health later on. I know, right? But a lot of the kids at the same time were kind of sick of candy and they were like, everybody gives us candy. And so at the end, I started giving them like oranges, like little mandarin oranges. So they, I think they <laughs> liked that better. And I liked that better too. Something else that they're doing well is that they have really great recycling programs. Like, it's so easy, and I don't know if this is true, but someone that I worked with told me that they, they have people who go through the trash meticulously and pull out bottles that you can recycle. And um, down in the basement of the building that I was living in, they had, like, an entire room dedicated to sorting your recycling. So it was, like, this weekly thing that I did where I carried my recycling down and put it into all the places that it went. Aluminum cans, glass bottles. Soju bottles had their own little area. Soju is a type of <laughs> alcohol, kind of similar to vodka, but it's often flavored. And it comes in little bottles, and it's less expensive than bottled water. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> but anyway, they, they did a good job with recycling, and then also they force you to compost. You have to, you have to put your food waste, all of your food waste, in one specific garbage bin that they, that they label. It is said that... The easiest way to get somebody to recycle or to compost is to make it the easiest option. Mm -hmm. So if they make it really easy, more people will do it. Let's go and talk about bottled water. Was that really big? Like, how was the water there? Did you have to have bottled water? Yeah, that was a point of contention among my uh, coworkers, I'd say. I think that the more affluent people in Korea probably could safely drink out of their their taps, they could drink the tap water, but uh, because of the piping, my coworkers discouraged me from drinking out of the, the tap. But to be fair, for the first two months that I lived there, I like refused to buy bottled water. And so I drank out of the tap and it tastes fine and I didn't get sick. That's good. The tap water in Korea did not make me sick, even though my coworkers thought it would. I bought a giant bottle and then I'd, I'd take it to work and I would fill my water there because they have fancy filtered water so that they could treat oh. the kids well because it was very nice water. So how about the plane ride? That was probably a really long trip. 11 to 13 hours. How much waste was created during that process? Mm. I did look it up and I'm sad to say that it's probably around 2.7 tons or 2,000 kilograms of carbon dioxide produced. From the plane trip. Yeah, for a return trip. Now, is that per person or total? 
total. The plane emits okay. that total. Yeah. So I'm not, not sure what it is you personally, you're sharing that among everyone who was on that. Yeah, but that still like per plane ride. Per yeah, plane Yeah, and that ride. happens a lot, right? Every time every time a plane goes up in the air, this happens. Yeah. Um, what about the actual garbage? Because I imagine you probably had to eat out while you were on there. You probably got fed on the flights. That's or did true. you bring your own food? I did bring a snack, um, but it was a granola bar with a wrapper, so it's not better. And they did feed us, but it was definitely like prepackaged airplane food with like the plastic seal and everything. So yeah, flights produce a lot of waste. I think I recently read that uh, if you forego a return flight, it's basically the same as not driving your vehicle for a year, like a regular gasoline car, which is insane. A single flight. <laughs> it's insane. I was driving your car for an entire year. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So thankfully there, there are alternatives. I've also looked into this. There are alternatives. Um, they've been looking into aviation biofuel recently. Um, but like, well, biofuel is actually not good though, because I mean, biofuel causes a lot of, um, pressure on food. Yeah. And that was something that I read too, was that even though like it, it comes from green stuff, you have to grow that green stuff in place of like where people could be growing agriculture. So, yeah. And yeah. not to mention that it still produces the emissions during the burning of it. Yes, but uh, since you're growing it from green stuff, the green stuff, whatever it is, I don't know, algae, trees, grass, uh, tends to uh, clean the air of enough carbon to make it essentially zero. It is, your, yeah, it, as far as emissions overall, it is better, but yeah. the amount of pressure that it puts on food and water, which is more and more becoming an issue, I would say it's probably not a better option overall. Yeah, not yet. Um, they're hypothesizing that maybe a mixture of regular aviation fuel, jet fuel, with some biofuel mixed in could be better, and it may even reduce total emissions, carbon dioxide, just because of the, the growing process of the biofuel. Right. The biofuel, whatever the word is. What's it called? The biofuel source, <laughs> the source of the fuel. Yeah, there isn't really a good alternative. Like in the long run, that's probably the thing that'll help flights have less of an impact, but it's so far away. It's so far away. So is purely solar energy. Everything is so far away. Like, did you know that, okay, this is fun, that there were a couple projects started to set up like huge solar panel farms in the Sahara Desert, but they were all scrubbed. They all failed because of various, probably socio-political or geopolitical reasons. Yeah, um, I feel like setting up fields of solar panels has probably got its own impact. So I, yeah. I think that just like every house should just be roofed. Roofed? <laughs> Is, that roofed? Is it roofed <laughs> or roofed? Outfitted with solar panels. Outfitted <laughs> with solar panels because we're already using the space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another interesting factoid. Did you know that Nevada and Utah and Texas, they get so much sunlight that in some areas, if you built a 100 mile by 100 mile square of solar panels, 
that's enough to meet the electricity needs of the entire United States. It is if you don't take into consideration the degradation of the energy as it travels. That's true. And then in order to store all that energy, you would need a one mile by one mile square of batteries. And that's it. Power the entire United States. But if you could spread that out, so (sighs) shorter distances from everything, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, right. But a lot of places don't get enough sunlight for it to be viable, unfortunately. Like Canada, we don't get enough sunlight. We'd have to get our source from elsewhere. Solar may never be viable here, which is sad. But, well, I don't know. I think if you, I think it could be done. It definitely would be more effective certain times of the year, right? So if we could possibly store any excess or sensitive with um like wind or hydro although hydro has or nuclear or nuclear nuclear is i know nuclear has like a bad rap but it does but it produces so little emotion uh emissions (laughs) so little emotions nuclear produces (laughs) so so much less emissions than other than other forms of energy like like oil and coal and natural gas. It's so much better. It is. Um, as long as but I mean, of course, it has a bad rap because it. it's like radioactive materials get produced when you fission uranium or thorium. Yeah. So, And storage is easily doable. It's just nobody wants to be anywhere near it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's pros and cons. Never easy. Yeah, it's not easy. But in the long run, I think the way it'll go the most successfully is a transition from oil and coal and gas to nuclear where we like rely on it more and we're more comfortable with it until we can transition finally into solar because yeah, I think solar is the way I really think so. I wonder if my landlord would be upset if I just put solar panels on the roof without telling him. Do you think that he would even notice? (laughs) He might notice when his bill suddenly changes. Okay, no. Okay, no. I'm not condoning that you like uh, alter the state of the home that you live in without telling your landlords or landladies people. Make sure that you communicate. But yeah, you should you should definitely look into it. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so, on a personal level, do you have any wins or challenges you've experienced this week? This week. Yeah, in the last week, what's your biggest win and biggest challenge? Environmentally. Or otherwise? Oh, that's a nice question. Well, let's start <laughs> with environmentally because that's the podcast. Because I knew this, this interview was coming up, I did so much research and it was like, like a positive feedback loop or like an avalanche. I just kept researching it and one thing led to another, led to another. It was like a Wikipedia slash other resources like rabbit hole i researched for hours and it was so interesting just learning about basic things that have been going on for years that i didn't even know about like those those plants solar panel plants manufacturing plants in europe electric cars and everything it's just so interesting and so i really want to like encourage people to go do their own research because it's it's not difficult you just need a little bit of skepticism and to double check that it's a reputable source. You don't even need to look at primary literature because it can be confusing and often hard to access. But just just looking into it yourself, it's so satisfying. Yeah, that was a win for me. So thank you. That is entirely because of you. 
<laughs> you have done this. You have created a green monster in me. I need more green monsters in my I life. I need green monster in me, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how unintentional my purchases have been lately. Okay. I mean, since Korea, I've been thinking about it more, obviously, and thinking about, let's just say, the packaging that goes into like buying anything. Granola bars, for instance, <laughs> eat on a plane or vegetables, those plastic bags that they offer. Oh man, in relation to this pandemic, do you remember when they told you that you couldn't use your reusable bags? Uh, you know, I actually haven't come across that because Superstore lets you bag your own stuff anyway. Yeah. My very first like interaction with COVID becoming part of my life was going to a cafe and being denied the use of my reusable mug. And at that time, I just went a few doors down and got one at a different cafe. <laughs> I actually did that. And I'm pretty sure my friend who was with me thought I was a crazy person because he dragged her like two-year-old daughter to a new cafe <laughs> to go and get some coffee where I could use my mug. And then the second one was trying to buy my bulk groceries because I get so many of my groceries bulk because that's the only way you can get them with no packaging yeah right right and that's just out the window like I just my as close to zero waste lifestyle as I can manage is nowhere near what it was two months ago nowhere near because of COVID so I can't I can't get groceries without waste however it has encouraged me to spend a little more time in the kitchen <laughs> oh I know that that is a terrifying idea for you yeah I'm not did I tell you about burning the ramen no did you see that picture no <laughs> the, I put the ramen like ramen should be the easiest thing in the world to cook mm -hmm. and I turned the wrong burner on and I turned the burner on that I had put the dry noodles on waiting for the water to boil. And so the ramen burnt the dry noodles. <laughs> and my, it always makes me laugh when Adam's like, oh, women should never be allowed in the kitchen. <laughs> wow, that is completely the opposite of what most men would say. Right? That's, that's why he says it, because it's funny and ironic. But yeah, um, kitchen. Kitchen is a scary place for me. I have never really flourished in the kitchen. Uh, I've never enjoyed it, which I think is just the spiral of I'm not good at it, therefore I'm not enjoying myself, therefore I don't want to go back, right, um, yeah. to practice and learn more. But uh, I have made my own salsa. I have made my own tortilla wraps. I have, we are considering... Well, actually, we're looking into finding a used bread maker because bread is one thing that we can't really get plastic-free anyway. I mean, we can go to a bakery, but that costs three times as much. And usually the bread is really hard. I don't know what it is about it, but... I'm glad that you're spending more time in the kitchen, though, because it it's important to develop like this mental resiliency towards anything, I think. And it's part of kind of being an environmentalist actually, is being able to like fail quite a bit and then continue to try and, and really learn from the thing that you did wrong at first, you know? 
like with something like cooking. <laughs> it's like, oh, I burned this. But then uh, I after you do have... it 50 more times, you've only burned it two times out of that 50 times. And then suddenly, right. suddenly you just yeah. have this confidence and ease with cooking ramen. I can successfully cook breakfast and stir fry. That's very good. I feel like I can go in the kitchen and do those things and I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Um, anything beyond that, it's usually a gamble. And, and I feel like the recipes are actually kind of developing into something better and something that I'm happy with. Good. Um, um, I have a friend who makes her own bread. They make their own mustard. They make their own ice cream. And uh, so we were going to do like a, an exchange of information and time and make lots of salsa together and spread the goods and make lots of ice cream together, spread the goods, make lots of bread, spread the goods and just kind of have like this communal yeah. time. Buying in bulk, you know, to reduce your impact. That's great. And nice, a nice way to spend time together. Yeah. And my salsas come from tomatoes from the farmer's market. So yeah. Buying local is so important. Okay. Before I lose my train of thought back on the, the resiliency thing, I was getting somewhere with it. Okay. With the idea of trying again, even if you fail the first time, that's really important if you're trying to be environmentally conscientious because I kind of, I fail every day uh, in terms of like my purchasing choices. I have a, a significant other and then like, that's it. I don't have children to worry about. So cooking is like not very difficult for me. It doesn't take hours and hours to cook a meal for multiple people. And I don't spend so much of my time cooking and cleaning after other people. But yeah, it's very important that, that you forgive yourself, even if you make the easy choice in the moment that you regret a little bit. Like if you buy oh. the box of chicken nuggets, it's like you're eating meat and it's packaged in plastic. Like there's nothing worse you can do. But as long as you're forgiving to yourself and then the next time you really do choose something different, like oh, you choose absolutely. to buy local from the farmer's market or you choose to buy a big bag of lentils or broccoli or something that'll give you a protein equivalent or better than the meat that would have given you. Like it's so important to just be resilient and continue to do better every time. For sure. If, um, when, when people talk about zero waste lifestyle, it's never zero. You're just, you're, you're just trying to get as close as you can or closer every day. And if you try to do it all at once, you're gonna just be overwhelmed and then you're gonna give up. Whereas if you just focus on one thing at a time or a few things at a time and just do it in baby steps, it's so much easier on you mentally. Uh, something I really like to do is every time I do throw something out, I look at it and go, how could I have done this differently? And then it just kind of gives me an idea of what to look for next time. Yeah, that has to do with like the biggest challenge I face, the existentialism and the futility of it all, is that even though it feels like nothing, truly the choices that you make with your money are going to be translated into the language that these corporations understand. Like well, you have so much power in the choices that you make, as long as you like do the research. And that's, There's that's, that too. that's kind of the hard part. People aren't really willing to, to do this research to think about what they're buying. And honestly, trying to make a good choice, every single one seems to become a research project in itself. Like there's so much information and there are so many people now, but it's still 
important to just know what you're influencing in your life. Like it isn't impossible. It's often not difficult. And even if it is difficult, it's, it's often worth it. Like buying a car, choose electric, consider electric. That's all you yeah. can do to, to affect the collective as an individual is put your money. bought a bike. Yeah, I know. I'm so proud of I'm, you. I'm so excited that I have a bike and I biked to my chiropractor appointment, which was a 30 minute bike ride in each direction. I was so happy. I was just like, yes, this is what I need to do. I wish it was warmer and more beer. <laughs> yeah. That's something that holds Canadians back a lot, I think, in a couple aspects. Like I'd love to grow my own food year round, but I can't. I'd love to bike commute all year, but I can't. But I'm excited to go on bike rides with you now. Yay. Yeah. Okay. So is there anything else you want to add? Do you have a call to action for people? Call to action. Eat less meat. Gosh. I promise that like you're going to be a little bit scared because you're going to be like, how do I, what do I cook? Lentils? (laughs) How do I cook them? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah find out what vegetables it's like a simple google search to find out what vegetables have equivalent amounts of protein in them and in fact per gram so many vegetables are more packed with protein than per gram of meat and the environmental impact of growing plants and then eating them is like it's so good it's so much better than growing meat meat is not sustainable man just just try to wean yourself off of it and eat it less that's that's all you don't have to go vegetarian you don't even have to tell anybody. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Meat is part of your identity. Hello, my name is Biz. I'm a vegan. Right? That's right? <laughs> the people who start with that. Oh. But it that is. Makes me laugh. But they do. Like nice. A lot of them do. It is bizarre. But anyway. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for being on a <laughs> guest on my podcast. It was great chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. I'll talk to you later, Biz. Okay, bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe and head over to becominglesspod.podbean.com where you can find the show notes, how to donate to support waste reduction efforts, as well as all the other ways to reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. And follow me on Instagram at becominglesspod, all one word, where I post lots of ideas for waste reduction, shoutouts to local businesses that I love to support, and other tidbits about how to be less. Thank you all so much for listening. Every day, we can be a little less than we were yesterday. Take care. Mm